Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Ian Purdy, CEO of Paladin Energy. Great conversation. If you want our thoughts and opinions on what he said, what his plans are for the future, and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports, commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities uh, and companies. There are training videos on there and summaries of other interviews that we've done, uh, plus a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. So do go along and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Ian, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, good, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Everyone has been asking, when are they coming on? And finally, we got you. Yes, no, Matt, I've been looking forward to it. We um, we had to wait for the right moment, make sure we had everything in order. But I'm a big fan of your interviews and very, very pleased to be here today. Thank you. Fantastic. OK, and that's a wrap, folks. That's all we need. That's all, <laughs> that's all we need. Um, no, I appreciate you coming on. So uh, you're in Perth at the moment, um, in beautiful sunshine during your lockdown there, are you? Or is there a lockdown? Yes, Matt. Look, I, I won't be like your other Perth interviewees and tell you the sun's shining and we have no COVID. Um, so I'll keep that to myself. But uh, yes, I am on in Perth at the moment. <laughs> Good. I like your style. Right. Okay, Ian. So you're you're the new kid on the block, actually. Um, mm. you, you, you've been at Paladin since the beginning of this year, February sort of time. Um, so looking forward to hearing the story about you know what, what, what your plans are. But first, if you don't mind, can you give us a one minute overview of the business, then I'll pick it up from there. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, our business is uh, pretty straightforward, which we like. We're a uranium miner and a producer. We've got an operation in Namibia, the Langer Heinrich mine. It's a world-class uranium mine, which we look to bring back into production as the uranium prices start to improve. And we're expecting to produce up to 6 million pounds per annum of uranium concentrate for up to 17 years. And, and that's us in a nutshell. We've got some good exploration land and tenements in Australia and Canada as well. But at the moment, we're totally focused on our Langer Heinrich mine in Namibia. Okay, so the thing about Paladin is it was a darling, it was the poster boy of the last uranium cycle when things were going oh so well and then sort of came sort of crashing down. But I think people still look to that as the case study for what could be. I mean, do you, I mean, you've been brought in to solve some problems and you're going to tell us about that in a second, I suspect, but do you sort of look back to the last cycle and think, well, we'll just have the same again, please? Or do you think there's going to, there were lessons learned? Um, I think, Matt, there's a lot of similarities in certainly the market side of the last uranium boom. And I think the great thing about Paladin, which has a terrific history and heritage, and hats off to uh, the founder, John Borshoff, and the people before me. Um, we, we've been left with an incredibly good opportunity based on their hard work in the last cycle. And I think what's noticeable about Paladin, um, historically, it's one of the few uranium companies to actually come up into operation and leave behind some very good operations, which will be very successful into the future. I mean, yeah, well, that's true, actually. I think people do look back with rose-tinted glasses at last cycle, but they kind of forget that not too many people actually got into production. Mm -hmm. No, very rare. And, and to have a successful operation, um, even rarer. So, look, we're very fortunate. And, and the, the, crown, the crown jewel for Paladin 
has always been Langer Heinrich, and we're very, very pleased to have that as our our focus and our portfolio. Okay, I mean, it's just I'm mean, sorry to stick with the macro here, but I just think it's kind of, it's interesting. You know, we've had so many different points of view come on the show, but um, when you sort of look around the uranium juniors, I mean, you're a uranium junior, right? Um, Three hundred plus million market cap. Um, do you kind of see? Do you look at the the, the players in the market now and 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 can you see the ones who will get into production? Do you see the ones which perhaps are going to take a little bit longer and, and, and perhaps the ones who just never will? I mean, have you got that kind of optic? I, I think, Matt, um, I, I look at it um, fairly simplistically. I, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'll, I'll admit that up front. I, I like the fundamentals of supply and demand. And I think uranium is, is, a, is one of those markets where there is an opportunity on the table for anyone to be successful within a time frame. And I think that's the delta. I think there's room for everyone, but within a different time frame. And obviously the producers will take advantage of the first, then the assets that are ready for production will go next. We'll see the greenfields coming down the, um, coming down the path. But the interesting thing for uranium, when you look at the macro today, there appears to be room for everyone over a time frame, which is quite remarkable. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, depends what you mean by time frame and depends what happens within those time frames, because the financing seems to be the kind of key issue that a lot of companies since, in a way, you're kind of lucky, you know, you kind of walked in at quite a good time, it would seem, into, into the uranium market. Um, but there are companies who have been trying to work out ways to kind of keep the lights on since you know, 2011, um, some with contracts, many without, um, some more successful than others. Um, it's been a difficult time, hasn't it? Absolutely, Matt. I, I look back um, over the last decade, and, and it's certainly been a tough time for all uranium producers, um, from the largest in the market, Kazotoprom, right through to the juniors who um, are aspirational producers. It's been incredibly difficult and it's been a, a downturn um, that I think has gone longer and harder than virtually everyone expected. But I think what, what we're seeing now is some green shoots. I think we're starting to see the market in its recovery phase. And as you said, it appears that I've timed my run really well. I'm very, very pleased to have stepped into uranium at this point in the cycle. Um, and when again, with regards to the macro, what are, what are you seeing? Because we've had uranium bulls talking about all of these major catalysts happening. You know, you just Section 32 in the US, and you've had the Russian suspension agreement clarify finally in the US. This whole supply demand story has shifted with COVID because of, you know, we've had to um, reduce the uh, amount of output, amount of supply in the marketplace. Are you seeing any noises from US utilities, which seems to be a key driver, or elsewhere, which lends comfort to you as to the timing of all this? Because I'm going to ask you later, you know, what, what sort of price you're going to want to see or need to see to kind of get this restart or time this restart perfectly. Yeah, Matt, I think um, the first aspect that I've learned about the uranium market, it is a quite a difficult market to predict. It is quite opaque. And it is quite small by global standards. And it's defined by bilateral contracts, confidential contracts between individual producers and suppliers um, and utilities. So there's not a lot of visibility out there. 
And I think the market works hard trying to look under the veil and to see what is the driver and when that market is going to turn. So it is quite difficult to get a clear read. But I think what gives us a lot of confidence at the moment is in particular for the first time in close to a decade, both um, analysts who report on the uranium market are indicating a return to the term market. Utilities, particularly in the US, are returning to the term market for the first time um, in close to a decade, which I think is wonderful news for the industry. Let's yes. talk. Let's talk about Paladin. Let's talk about Paladin. You brought. You've come in in February this year, um, following a sort of two. A, well, a two-year period of where, where uh, Paladin decided to shut down because the price in the market wasn't what they needed it to be. Um, what have you been brought in to do? I think that the the primary uh, focus of the company has been very much to move forward the restart plan of Langer Heinrich in all of its aspects. I think the company had progressed the technical side of the restart plan very well. And I was very pleased to release a very detailed restart plan back in June this year, which technically has a lot of work behind it. The area we've really focused on is what I'd call the commercial side. So a top priority was to reduce our expenditure to protect our very strong cash flow. So very pleased we've managed to do that. We've sharpened our focus as a company solely on Langer Heinrich and put all of our resources into the one asset. And lastly, we've really spent a lot of time re-engaging with the customers and the utility market, but as well with our shareholders and our note holders and everyone who's supported us over the years. Okay, so obviously it's got a long history of producing pounds, millions of pounds. Um, what are you targeting going forward? Our restart plan, Matt, suggests that we can produce at a rate of about six million pounds per annum during our mining phase, which runs for seven years. I'm very pleased to say our ramp up schedule is very quick, being a brownfields operation that's well known. We're not making any major changes to the process flow, which worked very well. We're going to be using the same mining method, which worked very well. We expect to be back to full production within 12 months of a restart. And then at six million pounds for seven years, followed by a further nine years at about three and a half million pounds when we move to our lower grade material. So you, that, that period after the seven years is about um, processing your stockpiles. So, yes, we're, we're very fortunate to have substantial stockpiles today. We will increase those stockpiles during our mining phase. And in total, we'll have a 17-year life based on existing resources and stockpiles in the ground today. Right. So is there any further exploration going to happen during this period? Absolutely, Matt. I think there's lots of opportunity both within our own terminals, but also within the Namibian region we're operating in on the West Coast. It's a very strong uranium jurisdiction, and there's some very good regional opportunities as well as opportunities on our own tenements. Right, and, and so where, where precisely are you looking? Because I mean, you know, there was mention that you were sort of exploring and you did you have some success, but it was sort of near or beneath the tailings dam component. So is that, how do you kind of get at that? Our focus at the moment is, firstly, we're not doing any active exploration at the moment. We're conserving our cash and our resources. And what we're focused on is our existing mine plan, which is basically uh, based on our existing reserves and resources. 
And it's going to be very similar to the prior mining method and the prior mining operation that was very successful at Langer Heinrich. But we're just putting in a lot of detailed planning and execution to make sure we address things like blend strategy of the ore coming out of the mine. We've got more granularity in our geological model to make sure we understand the physical characteristics. All of those good mining planning projects. Okay, and so, so talk to me, and th thank you for that. Talk to me about your relationship with C and CNNC because um, they've got a twenty-five percent uh, position in the company, and I assume therefore they're after the offtake. They want their twenty-five percent of the yep. six million pounds that you're producing. And first of all, what's the relationship with those guys like? Um, in a couple of words, it's very good. So CNNC came on board as a partner to the operation back in 2014. And as part of their um, acquisition of their 25%, which they paid about $190 million US for that 25%, uh, they also put in place with Paladin an offtake agreement for up to 25% of our production. That's been a very good offtake for Paladin and a lot of product was delivered to our Chinese partner. Um, we have a very constructive relationship with CNNC. We're fortunate in so much as we are the operator, we are the decision maker, but they're also a very important part of our operation. They're committed to recommence their offtake. We like the offtake because that will give us market exposure. That's predominantly priced at spot price, which we like. And they're also very supportive of our desire to secure term contract for a large proportion of the other 75% before we restart. Okay, and are they paying their way? I mean, they've got to pay 25% of the restart costs, obviously. So are they stumping up? Um, that's our expectation. But Matt, we're very fortunate that we've got flexibility within our agreement that allows either party to fund the restart um, within a priority payback if you fund more than your proportion. So for us, whilst we believe they will fund and they're very supportive, if they don't, it, it doesn't make any difference to our economics or our returns. You'll adjust accordingly. Okay. But you've got the cash to be able to yeah. stump it up yourself. Okay, fine. Um, you mentioned something there with regards to um, CNNC would are paying at market price. I'm just looking again, harking back to lessons of the past. I think so famously Paladin. John didn't really want to do a contract. He wanted it at spot. Um, that was possibly led to some of the difficulties they experienced. So are you going to follow suit or are you looking for those long-term contracts too? Yeah, Matt, we're definitely in the camp of long-term contracts. And that's no reflection on prior decisions. I mean, hindsight's um, sometimes very nice to you, sometimes harsh. But our view is given we are restarting, we'll be looking for long-term contracts to underpin about five years of uncommitted production. So about five years at 75%. And we'd be looking for a floor price in those contracts to underpin our economics. Okay. And then we'd take the upside with our 25% offtake with CNNC. Right. And, and obviously the, the, the great unknown at the moment is the price discovery in the marketplace, right? Um, so you must have a view, or the company must have a view as to what the timing's going to be, what your requirements will be, and what's the price that you're incentivized to produce again, um, and what what you want the contracts to be looking like as well. Yeah, we, Matt, we do have a very well-formed view on that. And what I can say is right here today, 
the pricing is not in the market that would incentivize us to restart. And I think that's that's pretty self-evident by the fact that even the largest producers are holding back production in this current price market. So it's not a sustainable price for anyone at the moment. So we are looking for an improvement in pricing. And for us, what's really important, given that this is a critical decision which will set the framework for another 17 years, we want to make sure we're very, very successful in our restart. So we'll be looking for a price that covers not only all of our cash costs, our corporate costs, but also allows us to put in place an appropriate debt structure, an appropriate uh, debt servicing structure. And also, Matt, we're here to make a return for our shareholders. We're going to get a number out of you? Uh, look, I can give you a range. Certainly, um, when, when you look at the economics of our mine, and we've been very transparent in our restart plan, I think it's self-evident that a $40 uranium price will not work for us. And I would suggest there is not a person who is in the market that a $40 price will work for if you're not already in production. Um, now, a $60 price, we're going gangbusters, Matt. We're going to be printing money. Um, so somewhere between $40 and $60 is a nice number for us. And ultimately, the actual number itself will depend on the offtake, the duration, the volume, the counterparty credit rating, a whole range of factors. But I think $40 doesn't do it. Um, 50 is really interesting. And then beyond that, it's it's um, money for jam. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. It's interesting. Yeah, with the, with the players like Cameco and Kazas on Prom on the marketplace, you know, saying, well, you know, they too are, are talking that language, but it hasn't really moved the dial yet. Do you think, is that because there's just too much unknown supply in the marketplace at the moment? When do you think that kind of crunch point comes? I think we're closer than we've been for a long, long time. And the reason I say that, um, the utilities are back in the term market and that trend has started and that trend is expected to gather momentum first half of next year. And by, by that event happening, it's changed the market already. The utilities will be doing price discovery at the moment. So they'll be putting out requests and having commercial discussions not fully expecting to know the price. And I think at the moment, the price discovery and the producers and the utilities are filling each other out at the moment. But I think you'll find that the market will start to pick, pick up volume. And I think you'll start to see more deals done uh, starting in the first half of next year. And then we'll see the price starting to move and then we'll get a real good read on what the price is doing. Yeah, I think if everyone holds firm, that'll be um, it'll happen a lot sooner. Um, talk to me about debt. You, you mentioned debt. There. I mean, you've got some debt at the moment. Um, what? Where are you with that? How are you going to deal with it? To give you a little background on the debt, Matt, we we as part of our restructure, we had some note holders and convertible note holders who'd been with the company for a very long period of time. They chose to recapitalise the company, which is a very large commitment. They converted all of their debt into equity, and then they stumped up another $115 million US to get the company back on its feet. The debt structure they put in place was, I'd call a very benign structure, and was set up to give us plenty of runway to get the job done. And we're benefiting from that at the moment. 
So our debt structure is very benign. The cash um, coupon is being capitalised. There's no cash payments. The, uh, there's no covenants to speak of of any note. And that gives us clear runway right through till 2023. Okay. By which time you expect to be have some cash flowing. And are you going to look to kind of restructure those terms? Or do you think because this, it's a benign structure that it, it's uh, something that, that you could roll over? At this stage, Matt, we, we're fairly confident with our time frame to secure contracts to secure a restart. And we think that's the logical time to restructure the debt because we have very modest restart capital being already built. Um, we've got the opportunity to restructure our corporate debt at that point in the cycle. Okay. And just, I just want to stick with some numbers for now. Okay. Royalties. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a 3% royalty. Most companies in Namibia paying 3.25. And again, have you got some kind of beneficial long-standing relationship that allows you to pay less? No, Matt, that's just our designated royalty. Yep. Okay. Is it not the same right across the board for everyone then? Because I think I think I think most of them they pay a three percent royalty, and I think there's a um, what, do they, what do they call it, a, an export levy as well. Maybe you have. Oh yes, yeah, no, we, yeah, Matt, we've we've just reported that as part of our shipping costs. Got it. Okay. Dealt, dealt yeah, that's the difference there. Yeah. Dealt with it differently. Okay. Um, so. I think, and again, it's a question I've asked a couple of other uranium uh, companies where they've got sort of Chinese partners on board. Does that restrict your ability to sell or contract into the US? Uh, no, Matt, we, we've, we've not come across any, any pushback uh, because of that issue. Um, we, we've been in discussions with potential customers and old customers of ours. And certainly we, we don't expect that to be an issue. Um, particularly given that our relationship is at an asset level, certainly not at a corporate level. Right, okay. Um, question around um, pro packaging, product packaging. You've, you've talked, um, and, I, and I just want to understand why you talk this way. You talked about U04 and U308 um, being able to um, produce that. Why, why the difference? What, what does it mean for the company to be able to do that and why, why do you talk about it? Matt, the, the main focus on our product drying and packaging upgrade is, is really um, occupational health and safety and reliability. So the old process at Langer Heinrich, whilst it worked, it was very manual and um, very um, hazardous environment for employees to be in, uh, fully protected, but not ideal. So we're looking at automating the, um, the back end using technology that the Hussab mining operation is using down the road. And with that, we'll have um, flexibility to improve our product specs. And, and the factor is moisture. We'll be able to take more moisture out of our product, which will not only make it um, easier to process at the converters, but remove some of our logistics costs. Okay, okay. And you, again, it's, again before your time, so I appreciate you may not have the answer for this one, but we, we've had a company on here called Maranika Resources previously, and they've got a, um, a product called Upgrade, which um, was tried at Paladin. Um, it wasn't taken up by Paladin. Is that because it didn't work for you guys, or was it different contractual issues? I mean, what, what happened with that? Yeah, Matt, I can't talk specifically to that one, but what I can say is as part of our restart plan, we've looked back on all of the daily metrics operational performance day by day for 10 years, month by month. And we've forensically interrogated all the variability, all the outcomes, all the optimizations, and we've cherry picked all of the best 
and uh, address some of the persistent challenges for the old Langer Heinrich operation, which are mainly mechanical. The, the process flow worked very well, but there was some mechanical reliability issues, particularly at the end of the beneficiation plant, which we're looking to address as part of our restart plan. And how's that going? Because again, we, we've talked to John Borshoff in the past, and I know you speak to him regularly as well. So, um, and one of the things he keeps talking about is the uh, dwindling supply of skilled, experienced people in the uranium space. I mean, how are you guys in terms of staffing up for that? It, is it has it been more difficult as a result of perhaps people you know retiring or leaving the space? We're very fortunate to be in a mining jurisdiction in Namibia that specializes in uranium. Um, and, and to date, we've attracted extremely good capability. We've just picked up a very, very good metallurgist from one of our neighboring operations who's leading our metallurgy charge. We have very good mechanical, environmental, uh, human resources, legal. So we're very well covered for our requirements today. And Matt, what what's gives us confidence is Langer Heinrich was regarded as a very good employer and an employer of choice in our region. And with two operating uranium mines down the road from us, we're very confident that we can attract the skills we need back to our operation. We mightn't be terribly popular with our neighbours, but we're feeling confident that we will be very uh, well covered in our requirements. Um, your neighbours being Rossing and Husab? Or, yes, correct. Right. Okay. I was about to say, can't, can't you sort of dip into the CNNC um, pool of uh, expertise? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and look, we'll all be doing contract mining, all of us. So again, the other operations have got very good infrastructure for contract mining and good services. So there's plenty of work to be done, Matt. I don't want to underplay the amount of work, but in terms of challenge, we're, we're very well set up and I think we've got all the right pieces in place. Um. Talk to me about Cliff Lawrenson, your chairman, because he's he's got a bit of a track record. When he when he sort of comes into companies in Namibia, he usually sells them. What's what's he up to at the moment? Um, Cliff is our chairman. He's a he's a terrific chap. It's a, it's the first time I've worked with Cliff, and um, I had heard about his reputation um, as quite a tough guy, which which he is. But I've got to say, Cliff and the board he's put together, a very small board, have been outstanding. Um, all the board members are very hands-on. Uh, Cliff has selected board members with very relevant experience. We've got very good marketing ex market experience, and we've got very good um, technical experience in our two other directors. And our focus is returning the operation uh, back to its former glory. We're completely focused on long-term operations. But I think what gives me confidence, Cliff has a lot of experience on the corporate side when people come over the hill and try and extract value off you. And that's where I think Cliff is uh, very well credentialed. He is, but I'm kind of making reference to the fact that he's got quite a track record for selling companies too. And I'm wondering what, in terms of what you've been brought in to do, is this a long-term, let's get this thing producing and get and produce that, uh, th that cash flow you talked about earlier, or is this priming it for a sale, possibly to CNNC or, or others? No, Matt, definitely the former. We're here for the long-term. We're completely focused on bringing the operation back to full production, securing contracts. And I think what I will say about Cliff, um, 
is Cliff has responded very well to corporate situations which have come from outside the company and maximise value in that situation. But my mandate is absolutely long-term, bring the company back into production. Okay. I think, so th- those are questions which I was particularly keen to ask you. Perhaps we better focus for people new to this story, because I think there's a lot of generalists coming into mining who don't know much about mining, and they certainly won't know much about uranium. So um, I think you, you've covered a few bases there, but let's talk about what you've got. Uh, Langer Heinrich, let's talk about um, how much you're going to spend on it, what the timing is, what the upside is, just very succinctly, and we can maybe get on to some of the uh, other assets in Australia and Canada too. Okay, mate. Um, so at Langer Heinrich, what we have is a conventional uranium operation. We we have a very simple open pit mining operation. We've mined successfully for 10 years previously, and we have another seven years in our mine plan where we'll continue mining high-grade material, conventional, um, some free dig, dig, but mainly drill and blast, load and haul. We then take the ore to the rompad where it's fed into an alkaline leach process. Again, a very conventional, proven process flow, very simple. Um, And we produce a uranium concentrate. That's all done on our mine site. We'll be most likely configured with contract mining, which has worked very well for us previously in Namibia. There's very good service providers. And then we'll build our own workforce to run the processing plant. And we already have some key individuals in metallurgy and maintenance and environmental so to support that process. And we'll be looking to ship our product out of the deep water port, um, very close to Swakamond in Wavis Bay, and ship to the converters around the world as we have previously. The catalyst, Matt, for us to come back into production is securing those long-term offtake contracts with our customers. Right, so you've, you've... You've got a seven-year um, period where you're producing at your, your optimum level at around six million pounds a year. You've got ten years where you'll be dealing with the, the stockpiles which you've accumulated. There may be some expiration too. Um, I'm hearing that CNN and C are um, willing and able partner, but you don't need them to step up on the the capex component or um, to get this restart going again. Fine debt. You're going to you don't need to do anything until 2023. We, we all suspect the market may recover, but then so you've got a bit more optionality um, for yeah. sure. Um, okay, so and so, just tell me, what, what price are you producing? Um, what's your all-in on the first seven years and then the, the, the back end? So across the life of our operation, our cash cost, our C1 cash cost is circa $27 a pound, and our all-in, including everything, is mid-30s. Right. Okay. So it starts off sub sub thirty for seven years, and then when you get to the lower grade stuff, it's going to go up a bit. Okay. So you're you you've yet to decide when the actual restart is, but when you start, it's going to be twelve months, or have you made the decision to go for it now? We're taking a very disciplined approach, and we will not be restarting ahead of signing contracts. So whilst we're very well advanced with our restart plan, we're fully licensed, we have a very detailed schedule to bring the operation back into production, we will not be committing to any expenditure or capital works until we've signed our long-term offtake. Okay. Should we talk about Australia? You've got a couple of assets, a couple of long-standing assets there, haven't you? 
Yeah, um, probably don't have a lot to say about those, Matt. We we haven't really done. Um, they're sort of just being parked away. Okay, okay. Because I mean, I was again, I was just wondering. You talked about sort of the, your your debt providers having restructured and you know done a debt for equity um, swap and then provided another uh, debt line for you guys. But were they part of the group who kind of funded the acquisitions in Australia? Because obviously there was a lot of money paid for that back then. You know, over a billion bucks, one point two billion bucks of money. Has that been written off? Largely, yeah. The, look, it's it's very good. Um, I can I can make a general comment. It's it's very good prospective projects, very early stage, but but certainly we're not carrying them anywhere near the value at which they were acquired. Right. We we pretty well parked them and put them on care and maintenance. Right. And at this stage, we're we're not really putting a lot of thought into them. Okay, so literally, because obviously you've got the Labor government in Queensland have banned uranium yeah. production as well. So that, that's a that's in the back of the drawer, waiting for a new gov, a new government in Queensland, and um, I guess a bit more cash being produced out of Langer Heinrich. Is it the same for Canada? Correct. Yeah, Canada. Um, we've probably got more visibility on our way forward with licensing and development, but again, it'll require a stronger uranium market. And it'll be something. So the sequence for us is the restart of Langer Heinrich, achieve cash flow positive operations, full production, and then immediately turn our attention to our in-house projects as well as M and A. Right. And in terms of Canada, obviously you've seen what's happening there. There's a lot of good exploration stories. There's a few development stories where you know they need their permits, they need their licenses, etc. And they seem to be sort of long lead times on those. Does that sort of influence? Um, the discussions that you have around assets such as the Canadian one. I mean, do you want to hold on to them? Do you want to flip them? Could you monetize those? Matt, our, our preference at this stage is to hold on to our exploration assets. We've rationalized the land holding to the point where we've kept kept the best and minimized the holding costs, very, very um, modest holding costs for all of our tenements, less than $1 million US for the whole lot. And that gives us significant optionality and upside to an improving uranium market. Okay, fantastic. And to, so let's get well. Let's get back to Namibia then. So the Namibian government they must be keen to for you to start work. Um, ha, what are you able to do in country at the moment? I know you're you're going through this this kind of extended scoping study, as it were, um, for on the restart. But when do you think people are going to be able to get back into country and and, and get at it? Yeah, Matt, what we've done, we've restructured our project team um, because of the COVID travel restrictions. And what we've done is we've relocated a large proportion of the project at our operation in Namibia, and we've recruited in some new expertise. So the team in Namibia are very focused on the plant as it's built today and the conditioning work to return the plant to full capability. So that part of the project is being run out of Namibia and going extremely well. We've also done a lot of work on our licensing and making sure everything's in good standing, which it is. We've just renewed our environmental license for another three years, which we're very pleased about. So the Namibian team are really taking the lead in country on everything that's there today. And then they're being supported out of South Africa and Australia on primarily the engineering of the new bits of the plant that we'll be bringing in to improve the mechanical reliability. And we're also doing the detailed mine planning with the team here in Australia who were previously involved in the mine plan. So between the two teams, it's working extremely well. 
and we're making progress uh, as expected pre-COVID. So we haven't missed a beat at this stage. Likewise, a team in Namibia is responsible for maintaining the plant in care and maintenance. We've spent over $11 million US over the last two and a half years. And we have our maintenance checked regularly by OEM suppliers to make sure everything's in good standing. Okay, fantastic. And um, with regard, just on the, again a little bit more on the finance side of things, like you talk, we talked about the debt, obviously, and you've got a, a reasonable amount of cash, which is sort of plus thirty million Aussie. Is that about right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Have you got any other? Because I'm thinking back to CNNC, the amount that they paid for the equity. You know, they've they, you know, they're perhaps looking at the situation now and and, and uh, hoping for a recovery recovery too. Are you under any pressure for the, from them in terms of any? Site deals, contracts, agreements, um, payments, etc. Or are they just a quiet bystander waiting for the market to recover? Uh, the latter, Matt. Look, we're we're not under pressure from anyone, um, and and we've imposed our own regime. We're looking for those long-term contracts, so we have no other obstacles in our way. Fantastic. Okay. Well, sounds like you have. Got a lot on your hands, uh, and you're you're uh, running towards uh, some kind of finish line, um, which seems to be moving slightly. But with this price discovery coming, I think um, should be good times ahead for 2021. Um, do stay in touch. Let us know how you get on, because uh, very excited about what you're doing there. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.